A good conversation can shift the direction of change forever. Would you leave it to chance? Join the authors of Design to Change and explore this series of conversations with designers and event owners. Driven by the need and conversations with event owners and event designers who use the event canvas around the world, this series explores the depths of conversations to elevate your abilities to look and act beyond the now. Episodes are hosted by Rude Janssen, Rul Friesen, Dennis Lehrer, and Paul Rilkes, with illustrious changemakers, designers, and pioneers in the field of design and beyond. To explore these conversations and additional content, visit designtochange.online. For now, let's start the conversation. Conversations. All right, well, welcome, Ryan Hill. Uh, here live at IMAX America. Welcome to the podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me. So my name is Rudy Janssen. I'm one of the co-founders of the Event Design Collective. And Ryan and I have been introduced to each other by a common friend. That now we're noticing our web is actually much more intricately connected than we initially thought. Um, um, Ryan Hill, you are um, the founder and principal at Change Lead Solution Services, something that you've been doing for a year and a couple of months mm -hmm. right now. Before that, what people could find on LinkedIn if they connect to you, they would see that you have been the strategic design and innovation facilitator at the US Space Command, as well as civil affairs staff officer and future operations officer for the 19th Special Forces Group, the Airborne Group, as well as a senior analyst for joint exercise and planning SME, and an instructional facilitator at NORAD and US Central Command. Now, that's just going back three, four episodes in your life how, do, how does someone like you end up here in IMAX America? Well, uh, that's a really great question and, and fair because my background is predominantly military and, and government because that's, uh, that's how I was raised. I grew up in a military family. And uh, so following college, that seemed to make the most sense. I understood the community. I dove in, mm -hmm. um, got to explore a lot of opportunities uh, within Army Special Operations going into Civil Affairs, which is about human engagement and networking, you know, as a, a core factor of that. Uh, and when I left active duty in November of 2020, I moved out to Colorado uh, with my wife and kids. Um, I, I struggled, I guess, to find a space that I felt I really thrived in. Uh, I got diagnosed with ADHD late in life. Uh, I was uh, 31 years old and sort of a ton of questions I had about maybe some of the things that I struggled with for the last 30 years. But uh, uh, in so doing, I decided to finally commit to, you know, exploring the idea of divergence and creativity and, and design thinking methodologies more heavily. Mm -hmm. And uh, to sustain myself, you know, I went into the industry that I, that I still knew, which was defense. So I was able to secure a job with uh, Sigma Tech, which is a, a defense contracting company based out of Huntsville. Uh, they do a lot of stuff in space and missiles, but uh, I don't have a space background, so I started with war games and exercises, which allowed me to still kind of apply a little bit of creativity and imagination along with some project management and strategic vision mm -hmm. uh, along the way. And then as I started the LLC, which I uh, kicked off about uh, four months after starting my master's program in creativity and change leadership at uh, SUNY Buffalo State College, uh, where I met Tahira, actually, uh, I am in the process of still developing that out and kind of generating where I fit in this space uh, mm -hmm. as a uh, facilitator as a service provider uh, and as an experienced designer uh, so I'm also still working at Space Command as a strategic innovation uh, facilitator under some 
excellent leadership. Uh, Dr. Ben Swabelson, probably the most prolific military design thinker uh, in the world today, uh, and a really good friend and mentor, uh, Mr. Nathan Schwagler, who's also a creativity and change leadership alumni from Buffalo State with a vast plethora of experiences. So I somehow, despite all the shortcomings and tripping along the way, when I left the active duty, I have found myself in probably the best position professionally and academically that I could be in uh, to develop and grow uh, in these new endeavors. So. Well, that's, that's, that's one fascinating trajectory that you've gone through, uh, Ryan, and I think what I always enjoy about, um, let's say, the, well, you could call them serendipitous encounters, or uh, maybe I can ask you the first question that is in the book, Design to Change, that we wrote uh, over these last two years during the COVID period. Um, and the question in, in that book is, you know, a good conversation can change the direction of change uh, forever, right? Would you leave that to chance? So, a question, as a question to you, do you leave it to chance, or I don't think that I personally leave it to chance. I think that I embrace opportunities, and I think that opportunities are somewhat related to chance in that uh, you can never really predict or fully control every aspect of who you're going to meet, where you're going to meet them, and how your paths are going to cross. But if you don't uh, take advantage, I guess, of those opportunities to you know, take a chance on someone and, you know, maybe start that conversation when it's uncomfortable or when you don't feel that you have any basis to stand on. Uh, you can be surprised at what you might find, I guess, in those. And by not taking advantage of chance and by hoping that maybe you'll get a second chance, which rarely happens, you know, you miss out on a lot. Yeah. Uh, and you could, you know, potentially rob yourself of that one key connection, that one key uh, person that can open your eyes to a whole new world. Uh, in my case, you know, following up with to hear about the College of Extraordinary Experiences and that leading me on this journey of understanding experience design as so much more than user interface and tech the way that we normally see it mm -hmm. and seeing just how wide the net is cast and seeing that I actually have a lot of equities and passion within that space already. I just didn't have the language or the, the knowledge or the exposure yet to understand that. So, so it feels like there's worlds, worlds connecting there, right? Uh, yes. I saw your post on LinkedIn uh, about the College of Extraordinary Experiences an experience that we've been heavily involved in the first three editions as well. That's how we got, uh, you know, Tahira to actually connect to that as well. Um, and, and you just met Anthony Vade uh, at the Encore stand, our US partner, and Anthony Vade used to be on our team and is still on our team, but now from the inside of Encore, also an alumni of the College of Extraordinary Experiences. What was extraordinary about the experience that you had recently in Poland at this college, if I may ask? Uh, well, uh, I think as we kind of chatted a little bit before, just in passing, I think the people made that place what it was. You know, uh, everything about it, from concept to through execution to follow through after the fact, is incredibly well thought through, intentional, curated. Mm -hmm. uh, so hats off to, to Klaus and Paul and Phil for, for the level of work and detail and attention they put in, along with all the other uh, creators and, and, and co-collaborators that, that join in. But beyond the actual experiences that they've developed in the location and, and all that, they've set the psychological conditions to allow the people to really drive what makes that place transcendent uh, or ineffable. Um, because that is really where the depth came. I learned a lot more from the people in my house or the people that I interacted with than I ever could have learned just from attending the experiences individually. So, It's fascinating because even though we haven't been in the same cohort, but we, I, you know, I didn't have the opportunity to go. I was at C2 in Montreal during the same week. 
but also after three editions, I thought one of the designing principles could be, or for myself at least should be, that you could go to this event maybe three times in your lifetime, and whether you, you know, I did three, the first three, <laughs> but I thought it was a very powerful experience, not just for the experience itself, but also documenting the experience and seeing how it works in practice using the event canvas. Um, and then allowing yourself between the editions that I visited to practice the things that I'd come across and learned to have much more creative confidence and uh, ability to let go of some preconceived notions that you may have had that I may have had before and the noetic and ineffable two words that you know I still have a hard time explaining but that's really what that experience was like to me mm -hmm. um, um, creates an alumni connection that I think is part of the mechanisms of which communities can connect, right? Um, many of us know that your friends at university might sometimes be your best friends that you have for the rest of your life or cohorts that you learn with. Right? Uh, you're currently doing your master's degree on creativity. Tahira is someone you met there as well. How would you describe um, the experience of going through formal education at this point in your career? Uh, I think that's actually, I wish that the U.S. system didn't put so much pressure on people to go into higher education immediately after high school. Uh, again, struggling with ADHD, but not knowing it for so long. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I have a variety of interests, so having to sit down and say, this is what I want to do definitively for the rest of my life, and in a, a cultural lens that kind of frames it as you pick a profession, you stick with the profession, and that's what you do. Mm -hmm. um, you know, that can be challenging. And I think that I didn't know at 18 years old what I really wanted to do. There were about 17 things that I could have loved doing uh, or enjoyed doing. Uh, so I think going through now in my 30s and after, you know, doing it because I felt like I wanted to be there, not because I felt like that was the ideal path. In fact, I got a lot of questions initially about why that and not an MBA. You know, that's the traditional route for officers separating from the military is you go back to get your business administration degree, and you jump into corporate America. And they just, yeah, I mean, it was easy, it was predictable, but it just didn't seem to hit that spot, I guess, in the center of your soul where you felt like you were fulfilled. Uh, so for me, uh, after kicking the can around for two years and just kind of being on the fence about it, I just dove in and I couldn't articulate at the time exactly why. I just knew that that was the direction I needed to be going. And uh, everything, for better or for worse, since then has kind of reaffirmed that you know even the hard times uh, within this journey are a lot more manageable because I feel like I want to continue working through those problems and I want to be in this space and I want to find you know new opportunities to grow and learn here from people yeah. that I meet so yeah. waiting till your 30s and or even mid-20s but just having a clear mind about doing it because it's something you desire mm -hmm. not because it's something that someone expects you to do yeah. is pretty critical yeah. now one thing that um I can imagine with your background, you must have a very kind of disciplined way of looking at things and structured way of, of, of approaching. At least that's the presumption that people might have looking at your career path of active duty. Um, how do you think that influences the way that you approach design? Well, actually, that's one of the reasons I left active duty is because I think in the early years, uh, things are dynamic. You know, in the first eight to ten years of your career, officer enlisted, doesn't matter. Uh, nothing is steady state. You know, you're always changing environments, changing tasks. You know, so for someone with ADHD that doesn't know it, it felt normal. But I knew there was a point where it transitions into that 
analytical, systematic, steady state, you know, using PowerPoint and Microsoft Word and just constantly doing the same thing every single day over and over again for an extended period of time. And I kind of knew that that was going to be where my, you know, my spirit died, uh, which is one of the reasons I chose to you know, look at transitioning away from the military. Uh, and I think that uh, I've always struggled with doing things systematically because that's just the way they've been done. I think uh, asking the question why, although heavily encouraged and critical in creativity and design, is uh, somewhat frowned upon in uh, more convergent workplaces like uh, the military. So for me, finding a space to continue to do that was important. That was what I wanted you know, for my life. I want to be able to question, to create, to explore. So uh, I think the perception, though, uh, you hit the nail on the head. I think that is something I have to overcome in action, is that people assume that I have this disciplined approach or this systematic way of thinking or that I'm uh, more rigid than I think I actually am just because of my background. Yeah. And uh, I think that I've been successful in spite of that, not certainly because of that with a military respect. Um, yeah. Yeah. But I, I would like to think, and I think that most of my uh, closer peers and colleagues would agree that I take a lot more of a broad perspective. Uh, I don't like to know exactly how to do something. I like to know where you want me to end up, and then I like to explore all the different possible ways of getting there. Uh, and that's what I love about design is that it's full of possibilities. Yeah. So it's outcome-based. It's not problem-solution fit. Exactly. Typical engineering thinking that you would expect to be predominant in, in the space that you... Yeah. Um, that you um, have spent time in, but at the same time, I think certain restrictions or certain um, contexts can also allow you to develop something in parallel that allows you to, to to have these two competing forces. Which very often, and we find this in a lot of different organizations where engineering thinking might have been predominant, and then design thinking kind of you know takes over, or the two are side by side depending on what the function functionality is. Um, Ryan, I'm, I'm really interested to hear your, because we're here at IMAX America in Las Vegas. It's uh, the 11th of October, 2022. Um, if you look at the experience that you've gone through so far, you're, you're going to be speaking at the event. Uh, what, what, what are your first perceptions when you come into this space? I think uh, my, it's my first time in Las Vegas, so even showing up last night and then walking through the Luxor this morning on my way to Mandalay Bay, which were connected, I was impressed and overwhelmed by how, through the lens of now my fresh eyes coming out of the college, uh, everything is an experience here. Everything is a micro experience and actually everything is intentionally designed. But then you walk into IMAX and I thought, I think my first thought was just wow. I believe I texted that to Tahira directly. I knew it was a large event. I knew it had a lot. It was an international footprint. But I think I still couldn't conceptualize just how big this event is uh, and how diverse it is. I mean, obviously, you have the things you expect. You have the hoteliers. You have uh, some of the event planning and management software systems and, and companies. But then you also have this innovation hub over here and the variety of topics uh, on uh, from diversity, equity, and inclusion over to uh, my topic of like insourcing creativity in your organization, you have the thinkerspace over there providing you know, rapid ideation uh, techniques. Uh, there's a lot. Uh, it's overwhelming and I think it just kind of reinforces that discovery I made at the college that experience design is so much more than just you know, an event or a user interface. It 
can and should permeate everything we do. We yeah. should be intentionally designing those experiences, no matter how large or small. Yeah. Uh, I think that has been demonstrated here in probably an innumerable amount of ways. So, it, overwhelming is another good word for it. Yeah. Yeah. I um, I just had a picture taken. It's it's almost rubbing off on my hands. Uh, it says now here or nowhere. Something I learned from. Uh, as a perspective from one of our previous podcast guests, um, Sunil. Uh, and actually right next door to us is this uh, installation by an organization called Dear World who takes these pictures based on a distillate of two or three words that you know, that drive you or, or, or things that take you. Now that you're here in um, Las Vegas at IMAX America and you're here for Two days, three days? Are you staying for the full stretch? Or? I am, yes. I'm taking off Thursday evening, unfortunately, so I'll probably have to cut out a bit before the wrap-up. But, mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I'm looking for the duration. Yeah. When you select events to go to, or when events come on your path, or when you consider taking time away from your family, right? Because in, in our conversation before, you mentioned you have three daughters. Mm -hmm. uh, having two kids myself, I know that, you know, private time and, and work time and you know, the influx of these things is always can be challenging right? to, uh, um, typically how do you how do you for yourself um, determine the need to go to an event or to decide to attend one or decide to not attend one what, what are some of the triggers that you have for yourself hmm. well so in the past year I think there's been two primary uh, the first being is this an opportunity for me to meet more people, more professionals in, in the types of spaces that I want to be pursuing uh, as someone that doesn't have a formal background in a lot of this stuff? Uh, and then the other thing is, is this going to be fun? Uh, am I going to enjoy this? Because if I am not having fun, then I'm not going to engage to the same degree. Uh, but then more recently, my wife and I have had some pretty deliberate discussions about um, is this sustainable with respect to, you know, she also has a full-time job and I have those three daughters, so now I also have to consider Know, what she has on her schedule as well I'm trying to be more deliberate about that so kind of looking forward to a, a lull over the next couple months after IMAX but um, I think predominantly will I enjoy it and will I learn or grow or expand or something more I hate I can't find the right word but some, it's not a, a tangible output I suppose but an intangible output in that way like a, a developmental goal. But um, you know, one of the things that we talk about a lot in event design is this whole concept of uh, behavior change over time. Right? So, how do the events that you either design or are part of or speak at or facilitate, how do they change your behavior over time? Because that in itself, I think, is the one value creator of the time you spend at events. With um, the session that you're going to be doing, can you tell us a little bit more about the session and 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 what people will get from that session. Absolutely. So this is the first um, like lecture-based type of session I've done since starting the company and getting to the masters. The last two things I've done have been workshops, so heavily like interactive. People are just kind of living the lesson, and then towards the end we sort of pull those takeaways and kind of give them that opportunity to get the aha moment. Mm -hmm. uh, but in this environment, I, I've been pushed into a new level of discomfort and now hopefully growing comfort into in the respect of just kind of delivering some of the key takeaways and allowing people to explore that as they will in their particular space. So uh, the insourcing creativity thing is kind of rooted in a, a personal philosophy of mine on creativity that I have been unpacking since 2018. 
Uh, and that is that creativity is inherently in every single person. Uh, it's what sets the human species apart from other species is that we can create, we are creative. And I, uh, for the longest time, uh, I kind of felt that void personally because I feel like I was, but I wasn't creative by Western definitions. I wasn't an artist. I didn't have like any kind of output that is stereotypically how we would identify a creative, quote unquote. Um, and it wasn't until I first got into design thinking and was at my first design thinking, you know, workshop uh, that someone said, you know, I was encouraged to consider continue down a divergent pathway where normally I've catch myself and have to force in that convergent mask, you know, conforming to status quo so that I didn't disrupt too many things. Uh, and that was the first time that I was empowered to kind of just think the way that I would naturally tend to think. And that been told that that was worth hearing and valuable and, and, and needed. Uh, and so that was, I guess, the, that was the first hit of the drug of, of creativity and design that I ever got was someone telling me that I was worth, you know, listening to. Uh, and then as I started the creativity program, I read a great, great article by uh, Dr. Gerard Puccio and some others, I believe, were on that as well. But uh, it was on the concept of uh, creativity is evolutionarily speaking why we are the apex predator. Uh, and it is laughable to think that anybody is not creative because it's scientifically proven that we all are. We all mm -hmm. possess that capacity to some degree. So my entire session is kind of to help people understand that everyone in their organization is this font of creative capital that's just waiting to be tapped into, waiting to be empowered. And it's a win-win situation because on the one hand, you as, a, as an organizational leader, an organizational trainer can stop paying a lot of money to outsource your creativity and your creative thinking to a specialty organization. Mm -hmm. Not that there's anything wrong with that if you're in a pinch, but it should not be your default answer you know, to, to find someone else to do it for you. Mm -hmm. uh, on the other side of that, uh, you're investing psychologically into your own workforce, your own people, your own talent. And so the way to end into that is that you will source an organic solution to a lot of your problems, whether that be a small problem that requires just a change in a process or a large innovative product idea or emergent uh, service that you can you know, take industry changing lead on. Uh, and you're developing your people and you're creating a psychologically safe space for them to feel empowered, to feel that they have value, to feel that doesn't matter if they're an accountant or a product manager or a, uh, an HR professional or whatever their title is, everything about their individual experiences in life, their personal world encounters, that makes them who they are, good, bad, and ugly. All of that comes together to form who that person is and, and to shape their creative perspective and their creative lens, and you're giving them the proof that that's valuable and worth exploring and worth harnessing. So, uh, so the entire concept being, Here's what creativity can be defined as, from the radical to the mundane. Something as simple as adjusting your budget month to month to make your dollar stretch uh, is a creative act. Uh, and here's what that investment acknowledgement can do for you organizationally in a very cost-effective way. I'm gonna provide a few tips and tricks for things like incorporating board games as ways to highlight foundational competencies and stuff like that without having to shell out tons of money to an outside trainer or an outside organization to do it for you. Because I think that deep down, one of the things I love about creativity and design is that if you let it be what it is organically, and you don't try to control it, you don't try to heavily systematize it in a linear fashion, then you're allowing people to be the center of 
you know, creativity design. You're allowing their lens, their perspective, and their lives to be reflected in the outputs. And I think that, from a social perspective, is so much more important than the tangible outputs on the back end. So. Well, I like how you're very outcome-driven. Um, uh, I think outcome-driven perspectives is typically what typifies event owners, business owners, people that are on a specific mission to get things done, right? Have a clear overarching aim, what they want to achieve. How they get there could take multiple forms and fashions. Um, I'm keen to ask, a year from today, let's say we would do this podcast a year from today, again, what would be on, on your horizon of change that you would look back on and go, this is something that, I'm, that I've been working on, something that is really kind of um, falling into place a year down the line? I think a year down the line, I'd like to be in a position where I don't have so many things on my LinkedIn. I have just the one thing. Uh, and I would like to be seen more as a person that's here to, to empower and provide value uh, into people's lives and allow them to see their inherent value from a creative perspective, uh, rather than the person that's uh, kind of up and coming or new. Uh, I'd like people to come to me because they know that I'm going to be encouraging or uplifting or empowering. Uh, and I want people like Tahira who've taken a risk by inviting a total newcomer into something as large as IMAX to feel like it was totally worth it. It was worth the gamble. Yeah. Um, and then who knows, sky's the limit. We have been talking with some fellow college alumni about podcasts and potential events that we want to plan as well uh, to build upon the very similar concepts that, to what I just spoke about. Um, empowering and developing inherent creativity and using that for social impact. Awesome. Well, um, Ryan, I think this IMAC experience as well as the alumni uh, link to our colleague networks, which I think uh, at some point in time things bump into each other and things happen for a reason. Uh, I really appreciate you taking the time uh, to spend a half hour here with us on the podcast uh, to hear this first impression of IMAX America, which is always critical for not just the IMAX team, but anybody else who's considering to come to IMAX America as um, either a visitor or as a hosted buyer, maybe as a speaker, maybe as an exhibitor. At the end of the day, we all have different you know, wants and needs that we have out of these things. And, uh, I, for one, appreciate Tahira making the connection, uh, seeing that the College of Extraordinary Experiences has rubbed off also on your experiences. Um, who knows, maybe our networks of uh, the Event Design Certificate Program uh, many of our listeners have gone through this program to become uh, a certified event designer. Ultimately, we just announced a new program that's going to come out next year, and it's called the EDC Trusted Advisor Program. It's going to be something that is uh, based on the content of the Design to Change book, the book we just published that this podcast is based on. Because I do believe that the inherent qualities of somebody that guides people through creative processes and going through that journey alone can be pretty uh, daunting, right? <laughs> uh, but there's many others that are going through the similar journey um, and the overlapping skill sets and ability to learn that together I think is something that I've really enjoyed with my partner uh, uh, in the business, uh, Roel and, and, and Dennis, as well as others that are now part of the collective or that are part of the community. At this event, we launched a new event called the Event Design Summit Sunday on, this, on the day before IMAX starts with Smart Monday. And it's interesting to see that at least 
Smart Monday was designed by one of the cohort members, um, Dale Hudson, who's a colleague of Tahira. Tahira is a certified event designer. Uh, you met Anthony, he's a certified event designer who designed the Encore uh, experience here, the Breakthrough experience. So it's really cool to see all these things come up and people can decode whether it was designed based on uh, systematic thinking for innovation, which might seem linear, but has actually captured serendipity from a group of people's prefrontal cortexes to think into the future. And I feel like, um, I'd really like to see if we could connect you to this community. I think Tahir already did. And um, I look forward to re-inviting you next year for this podcast so we can look back. Uh, and also, and here's Anthony just walking past right now, and then um, uh, maybe in the next step, uh, let's see if we could have conversations before that or maybe you're available to join one of our programs. And who knows, maybe uh, in January when we're in San Diego doing our level three program at SDSU, um, hang out with the tribe of event designers and see if this is something that could have your fancy as well. So, so. Uh, it was a real privilege and I, I'm humbled to be, even be invited and to be here in this space. So thank you for hosting and I hope that I can continue to have conversations with you. Awesome. Let's do that, Ryan. Thanks so much for joining. This has been another episode of the Design to Change Designer Conversation Series. Explore these conversations and additional content at designtochange.online. Want more right now? Tune into the backstage episode of this conversation and hear what the experts discuss offstage. 